Each year we conclude ordinary time with this feast of Jesus Christ, the King of the universe. Next Sunday will be the beginning of Advent, the countdown to Christmas, but also the church's liturgical cycle resets itself. Uh, But the church year hasn't always ended on this high note because this feast is rather recent. In a church that stretches back 21 centuries, a feast that's less than 100 years old is relatively new. And the feast of Jesus Christ, King of the Universe, was first celebrated in 1925, and it was a decree of a pope that made it happen. His name was Pius XI. And Pius XI looked around at the world situation in his time, during his papacy, and thought how deeply and badly Catholics needed to recognize that Jesus Christ is the King, not only of Israel, not only the King of Kings, but as the title suggests today, the King of the Universe, because he is God and he was there when God made everything out of nothing. But why 1925 in particular? Well, let's look at the political turmoil that was surrounding Europe at that time. The World War had just ended, and yet in the messy peace at the Treaty of Versailles, they're already planting the seeds of the next conflict. But we also saw the rise of totalitarian regimes across Europe. There was Franco and fascism in Spain. There was the rise of the National Socialist Party in Germany and the 1917 revolution of Russia that led to the communist establishment of the Soviet Union. And in each of those cases, fascism, socialism, communism, uh, they set aside the need for God and persecute people of faith because they want them to look to the government to solve their problems, and the church would only get in the way. Pius XI saw this and understood that these political powers will not set people free or increase their liberty or prosperity. If anything, the people will end up being oppressed. History has proven him right. It is conservatively estimated that in the early decades of the 20th century, in those regimes of fascism, national socialism, and communism, more than 100 million people were put to death. And that wasn't necessarily in wars, one country fighting against another. That was governments killing their own citizens who refused to submit. Pius XI was drawing on our Judeo-Christian history. God's chosen people before Christ. They were only oppressed by earthly kings. They never knew freedom. And certainly, our early Christian ancestors, they were oppressed by earthly kings and emperors. They only knew persecution and bloodshed. In the establishment of Jesus Christ, King of the universe, we are reminded by our faith never to look to this world to save us or anyone in this world to save us because this is in heaven. We have one Savior. We have one King, just as there is one God. And that is why today we celebrate Jesus' kingship. And then where is his kingdom? He himself answered that question when he was on trial before Pontius Pilate. He simply said, my kingdom is not of this world. His power is literally out of this world. But this world is a part of his kingdom because we are part of his universe that he created. The real question remains, have we been loyal subjects and citizens of our king? That remains to be seen. In the gospel for this feast of Jesus Christ, king of the universe, Jesus is contemplating fate, not his own, ours. He has only hours to live. It's just before the Last Supper just before the beginning of his passion. But he's already looking beyond the cross. He's looking beyond the resurrection. He's looking to the end of time when he will come again. 
in his glory as our king. And yet the readings today refer not to Jesus' kingship, but to how he self-identified. In Jesus, he was a prince, but he lived like a pauper. He was a king, but he lived among the poor. He wasn't looking to associate with the worldly, the wealthy, and the wise. He chose the last, the lowest, and the least. And so today, both in the gospel and in the first reading, Jesus is playing the role of the shepherd. And in doing so, in the gospel, he is fulfilling the role set forth for him by Ezekiel in the first reading. Ezekiel was one of the first people to have to go into exile as a slave. When God had decided six centuries before the birth of Christ, if Israel was not going to be faithful to him, he was not going to be faithful to Israel. In previous wars over the centuries, Israel was vastly outnumbered, and they won even though outnumbered when they demonstrated their complete total faith and trust in God. But once they had earthly kings start to rule over them, those kings began to lead everyone astray. And Ezekiel calls them out when he says, you didn't feed your sheep, you fed yourselves. You did nothing to help them. You only oppressed them. But through Ezekiel, God made a promise. He said, I will gather my sheep together. I will pasture my sheep. I will rule over them, but not in an oppressive way, but in the only way by which men truly can be saved, the only means by which men truly can be free. He said, I will gather them from the dark and gloomy places of this world. I will heal their injuries. I will cure their illness. I will feed them, and I will lay down my life for them. 600 years before Jesus in Ezekiel already is listing point by point what Jesus would accomplish in his ministry in the flesh, walking among sinners, people like me, people like you. But it's the last sentence that most closely relates to the gospel. Ezekiel said that God's son would separate the sheep from the goats. Jesus uses those exact same words in the gospel today, separating saints from sinners, wheat from chaff, sheep from goats. It's the harvest at the end of time. And for those who want to be in that number, when the saints go marching in, Jesus tells us how to live for heaven here on earth. He tells us how to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven while we're on earth. And that's not only to believe in God. It's not only to say, I love you, God. But it's how we treat God's people. Jesus made it very clear in the verses we just heard that he takes it very personally. When we neglect one another, when we reject one another, when we hate one another, when we refuse to help one another, what did he say? Whatever you did to him, you did to me. Whatever you failed to do to that one, you didn't do for me either. And so it boils the gospel down to its simplicity, and it's really Jesus reinforcing the two great commands. Love your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, and you can't have one without the other. Because he was referring to the judgment day. On the judgment day, we'll be held accountable not only for what we did, but also for what we failed to do. And any of the things, things, emphasis, that we spend our life treasuring, stuff, power, possessions, none of that's going to fit through the narrow gate. We're going to leave it all behind. It is only our deeds, only our charity, only our penance and repentance that will speak well for us that day. But the rewards are always greater than the risks. And so if we have found ourselves, like Israel, being faithless when we should have been faithful, if we have found ourselves loving ourselves more than God or our neighbor, Jesus puts us back in the balance when we can love God and our neighbor, then save something for ourselves. And what is the reward? If we are to be loyal subjects and citizens of our king and one day enter into his kingdom, I think the best answer 
is found at the end of the third chapter of the book of Revelation when the risen Christ makes this promise. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will enter his house and dine with him and he with me. That's what's about to happen right here as we are at the Lord's Supper and Jesus himself is on the menu. But then it gets better in verse 21 of chapter 3 of Revelation. What did the king say? Jesus said, I will give the victor the right to sit with me on my throne as I myself first won the victory and sit with my father on his throne. Jesus isn't just inviting us to be somewhere in the house, somewhere in the room, or seated somewhere at the table. He wants to put us on his throne. He wants us that close to him that we can sit right beside him. When we share in his cross, when we exchange it for the crown, then that's how close we will be to Jesus who is God. How we get there is really determined by how close we will be to Jesus who is our King and our God right here and right now. 